0: Thank you for listening to the sermons here at Ascension Lutheran Church. Our worship services happen on Sunday mornings. 8.30 is our traditional worship service, and 10.30 is our contemporary worship service. We'd love to see you on a Sunday morning. You can visit us also on our website at www.alcrpv.org. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Quick introduction. Uh, Kelly is, as she said, the a minister at um, Christ the King. She kind of took my position as I left. And then Scott Elliott, who's in here somewhere, took uh, took her position. And God is just doing powerful things at the church. And we have a lot of Birmingham folks um, out here. You know, um, I don't think it's right to baptize your own baby um, because I was told, and I believe this, everyone needs a pastor in their life. Everyone needs somebody to be, to walk with you and to speak truth into you. And so the, the question is, is then who is your pastor, right? Who is the person who's willing to hold your feet to the fire? Who's the person who's willing to ask you hard questions? Who's the one, the person who's willing to teach you? And so we need those people in our life. And um, I'm blessed to have a lot of different people who are like that, um, who, who will say things to me um, like, never say that again. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's not right. Right, great. <laughs> <clears throat> um, but... But Kelly has um, just been a wonderful example of a lot of those things, and she is a wonderful teacher, um, a wonderful preacher, and so we are blessed to have her here. So while she was here, I figured let's have a little uh, more conversational opportunity to talk about the book of Revelation, um, which is what we're in. For those of you that haven't been with us last couple of weeks, we're studying the book of Revelation all summer, so um, the summer sermon series. The light summer, ser- summer sermon series is the book of Revelation. Yeah, just a little, you know, a little something to dip into. Um, we're gonna have a great time, though, studying this, and, um, we are really trying to get a little more academic feel, which is why I have my stool, Kelly has a stool, and our stands here. So trying to go for a little more Bible study as opposed to a sermon. We'll pick up our sermon series again in the fall. Um, but right now we're gonna do just a little more teaching and, um, still be encouraged by the Word of God. So we're in the Book of Revelation, and, We start the book of Revelation, and the opening, these two opening paragraphs, two and three, are focusing to the angels of seven different churches. So we have the angel of the church in Ephesus is the first one, and then the angel of the church in Laodicea is the last one. And there's a very fair question. Last week um, we talked about this idea of the angel. Who is the angel? Some people say, well, the angel is the leader, the pastor, the bishop, whatever. Um, and I would say, no, there's a word for that. There's another Greek word. It's presbyteros for that. This word is angel here. Why the angel then? Well, God very intentionally puts to the angel of the church in Ephesus here. And what's going on is the angel is the spiritual being, the spiritual being that is responsible for our church. I believe out of these passages that we as Ascension Lutheran Church have an angel that God has placed over our congregation to fight the spiritual battles that we need. Um, got a wonderful text message this last week from somebody who said, man, my house is just exploding with spiritual warfare. I need the angel of the church of Ascension to come and do some battle. And I said, pray exactly that. Right? Pray. I mean, we have, we have the opportunity to have the angel with us and for us. So the angel, the church in Ephesus, what's so cool, you guys, is that we as human beings and we as the church have this unique thing about us. We are the place where the heavens and the earth meet. You are not just Physical flesh with five senses. You are also a beautiful spiritual being. And you, being human, are the only person who has that privilege. You know, angels can't eat a steak dinner, but they have intimacy with God. Animals don't have the intimacy with God that you have, but they can eat a zebra. Right? We're both. And we're this beautiful place where God puts together. And you see why he says this is he goes, I need to address this to the angel, the spiritual, to the church in Ephesus, the material. Because that's the place where all of these things mix together. And so when we see stuff that happens in the world, we see something just horrible that happened last night. And we look at these horrible things. It is so tempting For us to try to define it with human words and with human categories, with religions and bullets and violence, and to completely miss the fact that there is a huge spiritual battle all the time raging, and humans are struggling in the midst of this, which is why it's so hard. You know, animals don't fear their death, right? Because they don't have that recognition that we do but we have this beautiful opportunity for intimacy with God. And so the book of Revelation starts by reminding us that we are physical, fully physical, and we are spiritual, fully spiritual. And so when we look at anything, let us not be blinded by either the physical realm or the spiritual realm, but let us see this beautiful dance that happens. And so he starts by addressing the churches because we, as the church, we're revelation four guys. We are about to take off into a vision, right? Revelation four, one launches us and immediately we're in the throne room of God. I mean, next week you are going to get some serious Scott Hawkins pictures. Okay.
1: Like like literally he'll draw you a picture. Right.
0: We're going to have a picture (laughs) of the throne room next week and it will not be something you'll want to frame. Right but it will be theologically accurate. And what we're going to do is we're going to use that for this beautiful picture into the heavenly realms. But what we need to do as the church is we need to start by recognizing the places where we need to repent by recognizing the struggles that we have. And by saying, God, I I need you to make this right. And we have that beautiful place where we get to come together. And so, um, we started with Ephesus, and we end with Laodicea. And that kind of track, moving from the remember what, where you've fallen, repent, and return to the things you did at first. And then Laodicea, lukewarm faith. How, how does that movement, what goes on there? One of the things that um, Kelly has been talking a lot about, and I think is really interesting, is this idea that we're tempted to in the church. And it's this thing, um, I'll let you use the words, because at the first service, I, I gave the words, and I, I sounded very intelligent, you know, because they're big words that you're like, oh, look at that pastor. Right,
1: and then I said, no, I. this is my thing. This is my point. I should be able to impress you all with how smart I am.
0: So impress us, Kelly. Here it is.
1: Buckle up. Moral therapeutic deism. Woo! yes. The moral therapeutic deism is something that we as as humanity are incredibly tempted to fall into. And I think if we really, really look both at ourselves and we look at the world around us, we can see that this concept of who God is, is all over the place. And so let me break it down for you. Moral, meaning morality, the idea of just being good. Right. This is legalism at its purest. The idea that all you have to do is be a good person. Right. Um, we are leaving shortly after the service to drive down to Mexico to build a home for someone. Many people can say, wow, that is so good. You are good people for doing this. And we would say what? No, it, it's not about me. It's not about my action or, or what I'm doing. I'm doing this because God has commanded us to take care of our neighbor and to love them. And so I'm not doing it to be good. In fact, we, right, at, we start all of our worship services off with confession. The, the, um, we say we are not good people, right? We are sinful people and yet what is good is God. That God loves us, even in our sinful state. And so we do things like mission trips, not to be good, but because God is good. God does a work in us through the process of sanctification, making us more Christ-like. And that changes our morals. It changes why we do what we do. Because suddenly we are doing things because God has called us to her because God is changing our hearts. God is acting through us. And that is good. And so that's the moral, right? But the opposite of that is to say, I can just be a good person. I can just go to church and tell people I went to church and that's good. And they're going to be so impressed with my churchiness. Therapeutic therapy, right? It's the idea that God is this cosmic therapist whose job it is, is to make you feel good. But that's the direct opposite of what we read in the scripture, right? It says, God says, um, I reprove, I reprimand, I discipline because I love you. It doesn't always feel that way, but it's true. God's God's job is not one that always makes us feel good. But even in the times when we don't feel good, God is good. And so God is not this therapist, right? If if any of you are in counseling or have ever sought therapy, which I'm going to put a plug in. I don't know you all, but I'm not judging you. But I think everybody should be in therapy. (laughs) I think it's great. (laughs) Being a person is hard. Um, but the thing is, is that when we go to counseling, when we go to see a therapist, we go for an hour and we sort of spill all of our issues and we say, these are all of my problems, help me fix my life or here are all of my issues. And, um, then we leave, right? We, we, our therapist stays in their office. You don't take your therapist with you for a lot of reasons, but that's how we are tempted to treat God, right? This would be our therapy session. We come into worship for an hour or plus a week and we say, here, God, here's all of my issues. Here's all of my stuff. Now you stay at the church and I'll see you again for our next session next week. Right? And we, we want to put God in this box and say, stay up here. Now I'm going to go live my life. Right. God is is staying and not seeping into every detail of our life. And then deism, who is God? Well, God is the one who created the world and the universe. God is the one who has claimed hope. God is the one who loves you. And because of God's love for you, God put on flesh, right? I love um, the gospel of John in the message version. It says the word became flesh and moved on into the neighborhood. And that's what God did for us. God put on flesh to understand intimately what it was to be human, what it was to walk in a world that is broken, what it was to love your neighbor What it was to have a neighbor. God knows intimately what it is to be a person. And yet, so often, we want to say, no, God, you don't get it. You don't get my life. You don't understand the details of my life. And God says, no, I do. Because I've been a person and humanity has never changed. I've walked in your shoes. And so we as Christians are tempted to have moral therapeutic deism. We are tempted to have this idea of God just being in the church and staying there and being there to just make us feel good. And for us to just go out and be good people, and that is enough. But that's lukewarm. That's the problem in this scripture.
0: Mm -hmm. And so we get to this point where we're the church, and, and we think of the church as, as, as she's saying, as, as a thing that we get to do and then get to leave God in his box. And the point of the church, and if you look at like Revelation 3.10, it talks about faithful endurance. Because you have kept my word of patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. And the, the way that I like to translate that is with endurance, you have kept my word. Why, why is it important? for us as the church to have endurance in the midst of things we don't understand. It's important because the world needs another option. The world needs to see people who believe that Jesus Christ is present in our every moment. The world needs to see people who believe that violence is not the solution for the world's problems. The world needs to see people who are willing to give everything they have to support the poor and the needy. You see, guys, if the if the church isn't the church, the world has no other option than to do what happened last night. If the church doesn't stand up and be the church, then the world doesn't see that there's another way. That there's Jesus Christ and there's hope. And so, what we have to do is we have to commit to not just having Jesus be in this room, not just having church come in on Sundays and and get filled up, but we need to say, no, I am the place where when I'm out in the culture that people can see the living God. Because I'm the place where spirit and material things come together. And guys, if we don't have the hope, if we don't have the light, There's no one else to give them the options. And so we as Christians become strange people. We as Christians become strange people so that the world can say, there's another way. You see, that's what Jesus was on the cross. Jesus on the cross was showing the world that he would receive all the violence of the world, not respond with violence. And what happens after that? is resurrection. Where we think violence is the end of the story, as Christians we say there's more and there's a God of resurrection. And so lukewarm is not showing the world another option. Because here's a question for you. Just like moral therapeutic deism is not good for us, do you like cold coffee? No, not iced coffee, cold coffee. No, right? What do you feel about warm beer? Not good. What do you do with those things? You spit them out of your mouth, right? That's what you do. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, be who you are. That's how it's supposed to be. Be the church, be hot, be the cold, be who you are. And that is what's going to change the world. And this is why the book of Revelation needs to start with these letters. It needs to start with the church being reminded who the church is so that then we can be prepared to see the vision that happens in Revelation 4. And as you look to these seven letters, you'll see that there's this temptation. There's this temptation for us to be either head Christians or heart christians and not to connect the two a head christian is someone who has really good theology but may not work so much to love jesus a heart christian is someone who's just sold out for worship but allows maybe heresy to creep in and you'll see these churches struggle with their heart position or their (coughs) head position (coughs) and we have this responsibility i think of it like the figure eight right So our head and our heart are connected. Our heads and our hearts are connected at all times. And what goes on in our head leads to our worship in our heart. And what goes on in our heart leads to the um, thoughts in our head. But when you cut the two off, you get what happens in the books here. You get thinking Christians who've lost their love or loving Christians, well, who don't think. Who don't, who only feel, but don't think. Who don't, right. Who only feel and feelings are trouble. Feelings don't always tell you the truth. Right. And so here we go into the situation. So to just have fun, I confessed what I was more in the first service. You confess what you are more now.
1: Oh, you, I am definitely more of a heart Christian (laughs) than to be a, a, a thought Christian. My, my heart is one that just wants to just love the world in an incredibly passionate way. But in that, in that love that, that God has placed in my heart, in the way that God has created me, sometimes I lean towards wanting um, some heresy to be true. Like universalism? Like I would love universalism to be true. Right, right. Like, um, it's not. You don't I feel like... the need to say and I don't believe it's true.
0: But you don't like, like the judgment of God sometimes?
1: No, I struggle a lot with the judgment of God because I would love for God to just... To be gracious to a point of being unjust. That is that is who I would love God to be. And that's the picture of God that I have the tendency to paint. But that is nothing but
0: an idol. Right. And that's not what scripture says. So that's our struggle. Right? That's the struggle of a Christian. Is to be allowing to say, okay, this is what I want to be true. But is that the way God reveals himself? And then as God reveals himself, have that, that passion drive our worship. And so all of that requires confession and repentance in order for us to get into the vision. So I think an appropriate place to end is where is your struggle? Will you allow things that are not scriptural to seep into your thought life because you want it to be true, because of feelings? Or will you so think and analyze that you will forget that all of this means there's a living God calling you to serve the poor? And one of those questions should convict you. And then we repent. And we say, Lord, change my heart so that I then can go and worship you in spirit and truth. Right? Spirit and in truth. So that then we can be prepared for the rest of our vision that we're going to jump into in Revelation 4. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this groom. I thank you for these people that are here. I thank you especially for um, the baptism of hope. Uh, what, what an awesome reminder that you grab us and you call us your children. Lord, help us to just remember that truth because it is so easy for us to, to think we're doing this alone or to box you up and just put you on Sunday morning. But Lord, we are asking that you invade our private spaces and that you speak the word child of God into those deep, deep places so that we can remember the truth that we saw today, that you claim lives through water, not because of anything hope is or because of anything she will do, but simply because you made her. You love her and you want her life. Lord, baptism, infant baptism is the greatest sign of your grace to me. And I am so grateful that you revealed that upon my daughter. So Lord, be with us. Remind us each in this room that we are chosen in that exact same way. To in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.